0: of last year, during the height of the presidential election, when everybody was worried and things were kind of going crazy in our nation, uh, more than fifteen hundred adults in America were surveyed by the Chapman University Survey of America, and USA Today posted the results. And it was the question: What do you fear the most as Americans? So. They came up, based upon these responses, to the top 10 fears that Americans had in 2016. Number one on the list, 61% of people feared corruption of government officials. It was the same as the top in 2015. Number two, terrorist attacks, 41%. Number three, not having enough money for the future, 39%. Number four, being a victim of terror, 38%. Number five, government restrictions on firearms and ammunitions, 38%. People I love dying, 38%. Economic or financial collapse, 37%. Identity theft, 37%. People I love becoming seriously ill, 35%. And the last one I thought was funny, the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, 35%. So... I don't know if any of these are on your top 10 lists of things that you fear, but most of us from time to time struggle with fear, stress, doubt, where our hearts can become troubled. It could be terrorism. It could be the economy. It could be a loved one that you have that is, that is Ill. It could be not having enough money for the future. Your wayward child making terrible decisions. No matter who you are here this morning, at some point in your life, or maybe in the near future, your heart is going to be troubled. You may experience fear. And as we approach the Gospel of John this morning, the disciples are troubled. They are troubled fearful. So let's pick up at the end of where we left off last week, John chapter 13. Let's begin in verse 36. If you remember, Judas has been purged from the group. Jesus has told them that they have a new commandment to love one another. All people will know they are disciples if they have love for one another. Then he turns to Simon Peter, and here's the words of Jesus. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, these men are probably reeling with confusion and fear and doubt, Judas has left and nobody really knows where he went, why he left. They thought he maybe had gone to give money to the poor. Jesus has just told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And then Jesus says, I'm going away and you can't come to where I'm going. And so there's probably fear on the, on the look on the faces of these disciples. And that's why Jesus begins in verse 1 there of chapter 14 with a very strong command. Let not your hearts be troubled. Stop having a troubled heart, disciples. Don't be troubled in your heart. And that word troubled means to be agitated, to be, to be um, in distress and in, in anxiety. Don't be overcome with this anxiety. Believe in God, also believe in me. Now, Jesus sovereignly perceives that these men are are fearful. And we don't know what what was in the minds of these disciples, but we can imagine what they were probably thinking. Peter's probably thinking, what do you mean I'm going to deny you three times? What do you mean we can't go with you where you're going? We've spent the past three years giving our life to you, Jesus, and now you're going to leave us? Where are you going? How can you leave us? We're confused. We don't understand. This does not compute. I have some major doubts, Jesus, about what you're telling me here. You see, the presence of fear reveals a lack of faith. Jesus says, don't fear. Stop fearing. Instead, believe, trust, keep on trusting, keep on believing in God and believing in me. Now, why do we fear? Have you ever thought about that? Why do you fear? Why are you anxious? Why are you stressed? Why do you doubt in the depth of your soul? Why do you go through these emotions? Well, I'm not a psychologist, and I can't get into your head, but I can tell you that fundamentally the reason why we fear is because it's a lack of faith. We do not trust in God. And that's what's going on with these disciples. They're fearing, they're doubting, their hearts are troubled. And Jesus goes right to the heart of the issue and says, fundamentally, disciples, your issue is a lack of faith. Believe in God. Believe in me. Now, fear can be crippling at times, can't it? You can be overwhelmed with fear, overwhelmed with doubt, overwhelmed with anxiety. You just don't know what's going to happen in the future. And those are real emotions that we experience. And so if fear is a real thing, and these disciples are experiencing overwhelming fear, and Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled, what is the answer? What's the cure for a troubled heart? Well, here's the main idea from the lips of Jesus. Faith in Christ is the antidote to a troubled heart. Faith in Christ is the antidote to a troubled heart. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. Isaiah captures this very well in Isaiah chapter 26, 3 through 4. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. So Jesus knows these men are troubled. He knows that they're fearful. And so he says, men, the answer to your fear, the answer to your doubt is belief, is trust. Believe in God, believe also in me. But Jesus doesn't leave it at that. He actually gives three reasons why they can believe in him. Three reasons why they shouldn't be fearful. Three reasons, solid reasons, why faith in Christ is the antidote to a troubled heart. And one of the most important questions that we can ask, and maybe you don't ask this from time to time, is this. Do you personally know in your heart of hearts where you're going to end up after you die? Do you know that? Do you have the assurance that you will go to heaven when you die? Well, let's look at these three reasons that Jesus gives us that will take fear out of our hearts. Here's the first. First of all, you need to believe that Jesus has prepared a home in heaven for you. This is beautiful. Notice what he says in verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house. Now, this is a metaphor. I'm not sure if heaven is a house, but it's the idea of God's household. God is your father. The joy of being in the father's house, not as a slave, not as an outsider, but in the father's house. And Jesus has already alluded to this. Because back in John eight thirty four through 36 Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You will be free indeed in the Father's house. So Jesus has gone before us. He's our forerunner. He's our pioneer. He's gone before us by his death, burial, and resurrection. And he is preparing a place, a house, a room, a dwelling for you and for me. And this is what the Old Testament saints looked forward to. Hebrews chapter 11 is that hall of faith where you've got um, uh, Enoch and Noah and Abel and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the Old Testament saints. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews uh, captures what they were looking forward to in Hebrews eleven six. but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. God has prepared for them a city. Jesus has prepared for you a a dwelling place. Now, it's not a mansion. This is where the King James Version has kind of gotten a little um, mistranslated over the years. The King James was translated from the Old Latin. And from the Latin, the word mansion was just basically the word for house or dwelling place. And it's kind of more if the word mansion is basically the old Latin word for house or dwelling place. But when you think of a mansion, what do you think of? Some big palatial um, place where you're going to dwell and it's going to be this this wonderful thing. And, And that's a lot of times what the televangelists tell you that God's got this big mansion waiting for you. I don't know if he's got a mansion waiting for you, but the Greek word there does not mean mansion the way we think of mansion. The point is this. Jesus is going to prepare a place for you and there's going to be plenty of room for you in heaven. For those who believe in him, it'll be sort of a homecoming when you get to heaven where the Father is going to welcome you into his household. Think about Revelation. Revelation 21, 3-4. through four. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold the dwelling place. That's really what the word means. The dwelling place. The home. Do you wonder if heaven is waiting specifically for you? I I like what C.S. Lewis has said in The Problem of Pain. He's written this. It's 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 an interesting statement. Listen to C.S. Lewis. He says, There have been times when I think we do not desire heaven, but more often I find myself wondering whether in our heart of hearts we have ever desired anything else. It's the secret signature of each soul. The unappeasable want. The thing we desire most. It's an interesting thought by C.S. Lewis. Is it, is it what you long for most? To be at home in heaven with Jesus. Do you long for that? Do you know heaven is for real? Not become some little boy died on a, on a, on a hospital bed and went to heaven and came back and, and wrote a book about it. But do you know heaven is for real? Because Jesus says, I'm going there to prepare a place for you personally. Jesus is going to personally prepare a place for you. So what's Jesus doing right now in heaven? We really don't know exactly all he's doing. We know that by his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension back up to the right hand of the Father, he's ruling and reigning, but he's preparing a place for you. I don't know how long it takes. I don't know what it's going to look like. That's not the important thing. The important thing is that Jesus is sovereignly preparing a place for you. And when you think about the sovereign care of Jesus preparing a place for you in heaven, that should calm your heart. That should bring you assurance that Jesus is going before me to get my house, get my room, get my mansion, whatever it is, ready. So that when I die and go to heaven, it will be a homecoming into the Father's house. So when you think about that, it should be a soft pillow you lay your head on at night and rest in Christ's goodness. Listen to how Peter describes what Jesus is preparing for us in 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, a home, an inheritance. What type of inheritance? What type of home in heaven? Imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So reason number one Jesus gives is he's going to prepare a place for you personally. Don't let your hearts be troubled, disciples. I'm going to prepare a home for you in heaven. Here's reason number two, and it's linked. Second, you need to believe that Jesus will come back again and take you to your home in heaven. Now notice what verse 3 says. If I go and prepare a place for you, that's what he's done. He's preparing a place. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. talking about the second coming of Christ. Now, sometimes people get fearful when they think about the second coming. All the charts and graphs and all the movies and all the explosions and all these things. For the Christian, the second coming of Christ is the blessed hope. Because he's coming back to take us to be with himself. I mean, he's gone to prepare the place. And Jesus says, if I'm going to prepare the place, I'm going to personally come back and get you. And when I come back and personally get you, I'm going to take you back to heaven so that you can be with me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm preparing a place for you, but I'm not only just preparing a place for you, I'm going to come back and get you. I'm going to take you home. And we see this in the second coming. This should take away fear and anxiety. In Matthew 24, 31, Jesus says he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. We will be gathered into heaven. Paul says it in 1 Thessalonians four sixteen through 17 For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. We'll be caught up to meet the Lord. We will always be with the Lord. Hebrews 9.28 So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Are you eagerly waiting to be caught up to meet Jesus when he takes you back to the place he's prepared for you? 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. because we shall see him as he is. Do you long to see Jesus as he is? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be anxious. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm coming back to get you, that when I take you, you will be with me. Don't let your heart be troubled. So those are the first two reasons Jesus gives us. He's going to prepare a place in heaven for you, and he's going to come back and take you to be at home with him in heaven. But here's the third thing that you need to believe. Third, you need to believe that Jesus is the one and only way to heaven. Notice how many times the word the way is used here. Verse 4. You know the way to where I'm going. Jesus assumes they know. You know the way I'm going. You know the way. And then Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? We don't know the way. Now, what's Thomas thinking? Jesus, you need to give us a map. You need to give us GPS instructions. We need to follow you to the way. You need to give us explicit instructions on how to get there. We're not quite understanding what you're talking about. And Jesus is not giving them instructions on a philosophy. He's not giving them st- instructions on a, on a road map. Jesus is giving them instructions about himself. And verse 6 is probably the most important verse in the Gospel of John. One that you should have memorized in our culture today. What does Jesus say? It's the sixth I am statement. He's been giving these I am statements. Literally, I, myself, I am... Referring back to his deity, remember when God showed up to Moses at the burning bush and said, I am that I am? Jesus says, I am. And notice the the in front of each of those three words. Not a, but the. He doesn't say, I am a way, I am a truth, and I am a life. There's a big difference between the word a and the word the. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Three times with three definite articles before that. Now, a Sunday school teacher asked his class this. He had a class of, 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 of four- and five-year-old kids, maybe six-year-olds. So some of you teachers know this that have taught little kids. He said, if I sold my house and my car and had a big garage sale and gave all my money to the church, would that get me into heaven? The children said, No! If I cleaned the church every day and mowed the yard and kept everything clean and tidy, would that get me to heaven? And the kids said, no. What if I was kind to animals? And what if I gave candy to all you kids and I helped old ladies across the road, did all these good deeds? Would that get me into heaven? No. Well, then how can I get into heaven? And a five-year-old boy said, you got to be dead first. Well, good insight for a five-year-old. Good question. How do you get into heaven? Well, you've got to be dead first. But it's going to be too late if you're dead first. So you've got to understand before you're dead, how you get there? So let's explore these truths. Jesus gives three truths. I am the way, the truth, the life. Notice he says that he is the way. He doesn't just point you to the way. He is the way literally the way himself the only way he's the one and only way to get to the father notice what he says no one comes to the father except through me another verse you need to have memorized is acts 412 I, I tell i tell people if you if you can just memorize two verses john fourteen six and acts 412 here's acts 412 there is no other there is salvation in no one else For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The exclusivity of Christ is the only way. There's no other name. There's no other way. Now, what's the opposite of the way? Think about the way. If Jesus is the way and you're not in Jesus, you're not in the way. Which means that you're lost. You're aimless. You're not on the right path. You're, you're barred access to heaven. You're, you're not in a relationship with him. You, you don't have that entrance into heaven. Now, many of you have read The Pilgrim's Progress or maybe seen the movie, the classic John Bunyan allegory. It's the story of Christian Who's saved from the city of destruction? The evangelist comes to him. He gets saved by trusting in Christ. He goes to the narrow gate. He goes to Mount Calvary. His sins are, are paid for. And then he's on the road to heaven. And so, as he's on the road to heaven, he meets all these different travelers. And he comes across two men called Formalist and Hypocrisy. And they're climbing over the wall to get to the celestial city, to get to heaven. And Christian's a little concerned that they're climbing over the wall to get onto the path to heaven. And so Christian says, How come you guys didn't come through the wicket gate? How come you guys didn't come through the narrow way? How come you guys didn't come through the only way? How come you guys climbed over? And here's their answer Well, it doesn't really matter how you get on the path. We climbed over. You went through the narrow gate. I'm here. You're here. It it doesn't really matter just as long as we kind of do our own thing and and get get along the way. What's the big deal? Well, Christian says, listen, it is a big deal. Because I'm paraphrasing what John Bunyan says. Christian says, listen, it's a big deal. God has set the rules how to get into heaven. It's through the one and only way. You have climbed over. You've not come in the one and only way. And you are going to be very surprised on the day of judgment when you get to heaven and find out you're not allowed entrance because you did not come through the one and only way. Jesus is the truth. It means he's the full embodiment of the full revelation of God. It doesn't say Jesus is true. I am true. that's, That's a true statement. Jesus is true. But notice he says, I am the truth. The truth. John one seventeen, The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John 8.32 You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 1 John 5.20 We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God in eternal life. So what's the opposite of being, if you're not believing Jesus as the truth, then you're believing a lie. You're you're blinded. You're in spiritual darkness. You don't have the truth. Not only are you not on the way, not only are you barred entrance from heaven, but you're spiritually blinded to truth. Jesus also says he is the life. He's the only source of eternal life, true life. John 1, 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, talking to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. How does Paul describe his life in Christ? Galatians two twenty. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what's the opposite of the life? Death, condemnation. So Jesus is the way. If you don't believe in him, you're you're not on the way. Jesus is the truth. If you're not believing in him, you're in darkness. You're in blindness. Jesus is the life. If you're not believing in him, you're in spiritual darkness and deadness and condemnation. Now, I want you to think about the three greatest desires or ambitions or questions that humans have asked for centuries. I think if you got a room full of philosophers, you got a room full of artists, you got a room full of, of the greatest thinkers of all time, there would be three basic questions that all humans in all time have tried to answer. What are these three questions? Here's the first question What is the meaning of life? Or how do I get to God? Question number two What is truth? How do I know what I'm living is true? How do I know the difference between true and falsehood? And then question number three, is there life after death? Those three questions. What's the meaning of life? How do I know what's true? And how do I know there's life after death? And so humans throughout the centuries have tried all different ways to explore the answers to these things. And they've looked in all the wrong places. Okay, so maybe we can have the meaning of life through science or progress. Or maybe it's some evolutionary spirits. What is truth? Well, maybe there's no such thing as truth. Maybe truth is not absolute. Maybe what's true for me is not true for you. As long as you do you and I do me, it's okay. As long as I don't hurt anybody, I just got to be true to me. Maybe there is no eternal life. Maybe you just die and that's the end of it. Maybe there is no heaven. Maybe there is no hell. Maybe there's reincarnation. We really don't know. And so when you think about those three questions, now, now, most of you consciously are not thinking about these all the time. But when you're in the, the darkness of your heart, when you're in the quietness of your soul, when you stop and you think about the big things in life, you think about those things. Am I living a lie? Or what, what is, am I living, is it really true? Why am I here on planet Earth? What's, the, what's my purpose? And is there really life after death? I think everybody struggles with those questions. And, and if, you're not, if you're not in Christ, you can be overcome with fear to those answers. Well, I don't know. I really don't know. And Jesus cuts to the heart of all these issues. The three biggest concerns of human beings, Jesus answers and says, listen, you want to know the meaning of life? I am the way. You want to know what's true? I am the truth. You want to know about eternal life? I am the life." It's not found in philosophies. It's not found in all these spiritualism. It's not found in any place else except for in me. The greatest longing of the human soul is found only in Christ. And he's the only way to God. The only way. 1 Timothy 2, 5-6 says this, For there's one God, and there's one mediator between God and man. One mediator between God and man. Who's the one mediator? The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Now, when you think about Jesus being the only way, Jesus being the only truth, Jesus being the only life that nobody gets to the Father except through Him, does this not sound bigoted, narrow-minded, constrictive, pompous arrogant. you see we live in a world of religious pluralism where people are saying you have no right to make truth claims that say these absolute statements you can't be dogmatic You can't say Jesus is the only way. That's offensive. That's not politically correct. You you can't stand up and say that. You can say he's one of many ways, but you cannot adamantly say that the only way to God, the only way to have a relationship with God, the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. That's offensive. That's narrow-minded. That's bigoted. That's not politically correct. But I want you to notice who is speaking these words. You want to talk about being politically incorrect? It's Jesus. Is Jesus ambiguous here? Is he fuzzy? Is he waffling? No, he's crystal clear. What does Jesus himself say in probably the most politically incorrect defensive statement out of the mouth of our Savior? It's Jesus that's saying this. Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you have a problem with the offensive nature of it, take it up with Jesus because he's making the truth claim. And last time I checked, he rose from the graves and has the right to say that because he is king of kings and lord of lords. Now, I need to be a little polemical and and discerning this morning because um, this is an issue in our culture. And a lot of times we think, well, this, this whole Jesus is the only way thing, it's coming from the far reaches of atheists out on the, the wacky fringes. No, it's coming right in the middle of evangelicalism. I'm going to talk one more week, and then you won't have to hear, hear me talk about it again, about the shack, okay? But I just want you to be aware of some things. I've read the shack. I haven't seen the movie. But as you know, God the Father is portrayed as Papa, the African-American woman, The Holy Spirit is portrayed as the the Asian woman, Sarayu, that floats around in in gardens. And then Jesus is the unassuming man in the flannel shirt that drops the pasta and everybody laughs and, and things like that. But let me give you some quotes from the book. Because here's the problem. This book has God speaking, Jesus speaking. The author is speaking for God. So, Listen to what Jesus says to the main character Mac on page 110. Jesus said, I am the best way any human can relate to Papa and Sarayu. I'm the best way. Can you imagine Jesus saying, I'm the best way? Now, one of the pastors of America's largest church was interviewed on Oprah. And Oprah asked him a question. Here's the big question Oprah asked Are there many paths to get to the one God? Here's what the pastor said. Well, I believe, Oprah, that there, I believe that Jesus is the, is the way to the one God, but there are many paths to Jesus. You know, you don't know how Jesus would reveal himself to somebody. Now, just in case you think that Paul Young's book, The Shack, is an allegory, and, and I can get past all the weird theology, and get past Papa and all this stuff, he has recently written a book, called Lies We Believe About God. This is not an allegory. This is not a story. This is his theology proper that he has written for everybody to critique. And he believes in universal reconciliation. Now, what do I mean by universal reconciliation? Basically, he believes at the end of the day, everybody's gonna be saved, even those in hell. They're gonna see how good God is and they're gonna get out of hell by somehow seeing God's love and get to a relationship with God. Let me give you a quote from his book, Lies We Believe About God. Chapter 13, here's the lie he says that we've believed our whole life, that you have to be saved in order to go to heaven. Okay, quote from the author of The Shack. God does not wait for my choice and then save me. God has acted decisively and universally for all humankind. Now our daily choice is to either grow and participate in that reality or continue to live in the blindness of our own independence. Are you suggesting that everyone is saved? That you believe in universal salvation? That's exactly what I am saying. In his book, he denies the substitutionary atonement. He denies hell. He has a Christian form of purgatory. He denies the authority of scripture. About everything that you would hold to as a Bible-believing Christian, this man has deconstructed. So you have popular authors of popular movies you have people like rob bell who came out a few years ago with love wins and so it's not on the fringes anymore it's people that claim to be evangelical christians are waffling and and, and it's not like they're outright coming out and saying you know i'm a satanist so follow me no they're saying jesus is one of many ways he's a good way he's the best way in the end, everybody's going to be saved, even those in hell. There's no really set, nobody's really going to be sent to hell. Even if they're sent to hell, they're going to get out of hell because they're going to see how much God loves them when they're in hell. Now, let me just issue a warning this morning. You need to be very clear about how to get to heaven. Jesus is the only way. What ways have you been trying yourself? What ways have you been experimenting with yourself to get to heaven? Maybe it's different for, all, for, 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 for most of us. Maybe you're, you're like, okay, the way to heaven, I, if I'm just a good person, that's the way. If I just go to church every time the doors are open, that's a good way. Maybe I'll win points with God. I'm just going to be spiritual. That's, that's a good way. What ways are you experiencing with? If you're here today and you're trying any other way, Besides faith in Christ, you're not believing in Him. And so here's the issue if you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, you should be troubled in your heart because you're under conviction of sin. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Okay, I'm troubled because I know I'm guilty, I know I'm sinful. I know I have lust in my heart. I know that I'm not measured up to God's standard. I know that I am dark in my heart, and I'm guilty, and I'm sinful, and I know this, and my heart is troubled. And that's exactly where you need to be because here's the truth. Here's the good news. If you repent of your sins and you turn in faith to Christ, you will find Him to be a perfect Savior. He stands ready, willing, and able to save anybody who will turn to Him in faith. Listen to what Hebrews 7.25 says. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him, to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. He's powerful to save if you draw near to him through faith. Would you draw near to him? So stop trying all these different ways to get to God. Stop experimenting with all these ways to get to God. Jesus says, believe in God. Believe also in me. But you may be thinking to yourself, I- I'm trapped. I'm sinful. I've tried. I can't get out. I'm up to my neck in guilt. I'm up to my neck in lust. I, I-, I can't get out of it. And that's the good news. You can't get out of it. Christ can still save you anyway listen to this truth there will be never there there, will, there won't be anybody in hell that can say this i trusted in jesus and he lied to me i rested in the cross and it was not sufficient to save me I poured my heart out to Christ in confession of sin, and he turned me away. I gave my life to Jesus, and he abandoned me. I cried out for heaven to hear, and there was no answer. I trusted Christ for salvation, but he did not receive me. Nobody in hell is ever going to be able to say that. Because Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who cry out to him. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through Him. Would you wholeheartedly, by faith, receive Christ Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? And then you will have the assurance that Jesus will come back and take you to that home He's prepared for you. So that you can be with Him forever. Because he's mighty to save. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning.